Okay, guys, um, welcome to the Pushing Rod Rubber Podcast, episode 150. This is Adam Piggott, your host with the most. It's been a long time between drinks, a very long time. I think it's been pretty well close to two years or something like that. Um, and yet, here we are. We're doing the Pushing Rubber Podcast. Uh, I wasn't planning on doing this this morning, but I got a bit of inspiration from a comment left on the uh, old blog that I saw this morning after I got up uh, and it propelled me to do another podcast. I was actually, today's Friday, so in Saudi Arabia, Friday is basically the first day of the weekend, but it's equivalent to a Sunday, not really a Saturday. Uh, it's the most important day of the week in that sense. So I woke up really early this morning. Like normally I get up at five and I woke up before five on the big day off, but I was wide awake and I got up and that was it. Had a look online for a bit. Uh, ended up re-listening to one of my old podcast episodes, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, had a shower, just prayed the rosary. And so now I'm here. And while I was in the shower, I thought, oh, okay, this is what I can do a podcast about. So uh, there was a comment left on the blog by a reader called Don Miguel. Um, and he's a relatively newcomer to my work. And he's been apparently going through the old podcast episodes. And he spoke about episode 104, the no self-pity episode which he said was, has been a great personal help to him as he's had to deal with a divorce and he's also passed it on to a friend whose wife has just walked out on him um, in a Christian family. And a few things here. So first of all, it's, it's nice to know that your work that you've put out there in the past, and I recorded this episode that he's talking about three years ago, um, so this was originally broadcast on April 13th, 2019. We're at April the 8th, 2022. It's nice to know that the stuff that you put out, um, and of course I, I re-hosted all of the episodes recently after I took them down when SoundCloud decided that they were huge public supporters of Black Lives Matter. Um, it's nice to know that they continue to go somewhere, kind of like the books my books still selling steadily along they continue to go somewhere and help people and that's personally satisfying so thank you but I decided to my curiosity got the better of me because I, I had a look at episode 104 which uh, I realized that the date was right when I just come back from Louisiana after my wife had divorced me and while I was away in Louisiana on business trip she kicked me out of my own house and so I realized that when I recorded episode 104 that was when I'd taken this horrible um, studio a business apartment for a month for four weeks and sat there in well a little bit of misery and I look back at that time of my life, those four weeks in particular, those four weeks are for me the low point of my entire life. So to listen to me talk 
about that time, during that time, once I, I know I didn't realize this actually, to be honest, before I started listening to it, but within a minute I was like, oh, okay, this is that period of time. This is that period of time. All right, this is going to be, this is going to be interesting, is what I thought to myself. And it turned out to be interesting. Um, and yeah, the podcast wasn't too bad. I was listening because I don't like, I like, I can, I can go back and relook at what I've written. That's no problem at all. Going back and listening to myself, eh, going back and watching myself, oh. Uh, but it was good. The podcast was good. I recommend you listen to episode 104, the self, no self-pity episode. It's, um, it stands up. So it inspired me to drag the microphone out and have a chat to you all now. Because uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, particularly where we are at this point in time now in the world. Uh, before I'm going to do that, I get to that though, there was another comment left on the blog overnight by another reader called Kentucky Gent. Now, Kentucky Gent's been a, a regular commenter for some time. And he's um, on the path to Catholic redemption. And he's trying to get back into the traditional Latin Mass. But he left me a question and a comment, I don't know, a few, a few weeks ago, because he'd been to a traditional Latin Mass and he, he didn't see what the big deal was about. And I responded to his question and said, are you sure you went to a traditional Latin Mass and not just a Novus Ordo Mass in Latin? And I would say that 95% of all advertised Latin Masses are simply the Vatican II version of Mass with Latin words, that's it. Uh, you might remember an article I wrote last year, I think it was, in October, or no, something like that, September, October, I went to a Latin Mass in The Hague, and I walked out at the point of giving out Holy Communion, because it was so bad, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so if Kentucky Gent had been going along to something like that, um, <laughs> that was my first suspicion. Anyway, he replied to this today saying that the first Latin Mass that he attended was indeed the extraordinary form. The second one described on the church website as simply Latin Mass, but everyone kneeled for the Blessed Sacrament. Okay, well, kneeling for the Blessed Sacrament doesn't make it the TLM. But then he's got some questions. Did you first study the extraordinary form before attending? Um, I'm not trying to argue or troll. I seriously understand what's inspiring such fervent affection for TLM in its devotees. No, I did not study the extraordinary form before attending. In fact, if I look back a couple of years ago and when I started going back to Mass for the first time since I was 12 or 13 years old, I was in a profound state of ignorance and I first started going back to Mass at my local normal Vatican II Catholic Church in Leiden and I did that for several months and then I discovered Giuseppe Filotto's book Believe and as soon as I read that and then I did some more research I realised that that was not the Mass that I wanted to go to, did some more research, communicated, corresponded with Giuseppe, very kindly answered all of my ridiculously basic questions. 
and um, found a proper TLM certificationist uh, church down in the bottom of the Netherlands, uh, about an hour and a half drive from my house at the time. Of course, I'm not living there now. And started to go to that. Now, keep in mind, I'm still profoundly ignorant of what's going on. So I'll give you one, just one example. I was not aware that in order to receive Holy Communion, you need to be in a state of grace. And a state of grace means you've been to confession before you receive Holy Communion. So I was receiving Holy Communion not in a state of grace, which actually is a sin. Um, and it took me a little bit of time to work that out. On top of that, my Dutch is not good enough to be able to follow the sermon. Um, my Dutch is okay, but not good enough for that. So when the sermon was being said, I, I was sitting there. Whether it was a 15 or 20 minute sermon, whatever it was, I was sitting there. Church was very small. You know, it's a private chapel. It could probably comfortably seat 10 people. <laughs> there are people upstairs as well. Um, but I was not going there for divine inspiration. I was going there to begin a journey back to God. Which is hard work. Prayer is hard work. It requires discipline. And it's not something that you start praying and, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of, of a dove and you get divine inspiration. It's not how it works. In fact, if you're looking for divine inspiration and for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you, well, then that will never happen to you in your entire life. You're going about it entirely the wrong way. Because prayer is about removing pride and, and embracing humility. And humility means that you're not worthy to receive the Holy Spirit in your abject state as a mortal sinner. So when you're going to traditional Latin Mass, you should be going with the attitude of a penitent, that you're on your knees, that up to this point in time in your life, you've been doing things incorrectly and wrong and outside the covenant of God. And now you're finally coming back. Well, it's going to require some work on your part. It's going to require study, prayer, contemplation, um, education, educating yourself, reading, discussing with other people. I don't get into theological discussions with people if I can help it because I don't consider myself worthy to be able to do that. I don't consider myself to be on any level able to hold my own on a theological discussion about the Bible. I'm reading the Bible now, the New Testament. I haven't got through the whole thing. So I haven't read the entire Bible. Of course, by reading, I mean understanding the words, not just flipping a page and saying you've read it. I mean... I'll read a passage, even a sentence, and I'll have to go back again and again and again and try and work out if I really get what was, what was being said. And I'll probably have to get onto the internet on the Bible study site or something like that 
try and work it out. Even then, I'm sure 80% of what I've read up to this point, and I'm in Corinthians at the moment, I'd say 80% of it I haven't understood. I'll have to go back and do it again and again. So my point is you don't go to traditional Latin Mass with any expectation on God's part. You can only go to traditional Latin Mass with an expectation on your part to put yourself out there and to do the hard work. Did I ever get inspired at the traditional Latin Mass? Occasionally, but that's not what I was there for. I got more inspired by the other worshippers around me, particularly the families with devout, devout young children. Like, there was one family with, I think, four kids. I think the youngest girl was about three. I think the oldest girl was about seven or eight. The youngest boy, I think, was about seven. The oldest boy, maybe about nine or ten. All of them kneeling, praying, they knew the mass back the front. The older boy served as an altar boy in the TLM. So he's got to perform the responses and the prayers in Latin. Total devotion on the children's part. And no pride in the face of the parents. The parents were not virtue signaling through their kids. The parents were simply concerned that the children would behave well during the mass, not to upset the other parishes, and not to not that they would have been upset, and not not to upset God. Though I don't see how God could ever be upset with those wonderful children. I'm not a, I'm not a particularly big fan of children in general because I think children in general are so abominably behaved these days that. But occasionally I will come across kids like that and you, you just, you just, you've just got to naturally love them. So the inspiration that I got, and then of course the other parishioners as well, it wasn't just the kids, there was an older family, I would say, a husband and wife in their late 70s. Daughter, I would say, in her very late 40s, maybe early 50s, about my age, spinster by the look of her. All living together, very devout, very friendly to me. It was a very interesting con congregation because they were, on the one hand, very friendly, but on the, on the other hand, and polite, but on the other hand, very... What's the word? Not distant. They did not get in your face. They did not ask me questions very much. It was the right balance. It was just the right balance that I needed at that time. That was another interesting thing for me listening to that episode 104 because at that point I hadn't yet gone back to the Catholic Church. That only happened a few months after that. Um, after I came back from Louisiana. So that would have happened about July, August. I think August 2019 I went back to the church. So... To finish up that part, to go back to the church, the traditional Latin Mass, what did the devotees get out of it? It's what we put into it. It's what we get out of it. We're not, we're not there asking for anything. We're there hoping that we can make our own progress, that we need to.
And of course, I've been in Saudi Arabia. This is my sixth month, so I haven't been able to go to mass in that whole time. I haven't been able to um, go to Holy Communion, which is actually really good for your state as a sinner if you're a serious Catholic Christian. I was actually having a Giuseppe Filotto and I had a bit of a conversation on Skype the other day. And I was talking to him about this and I said it's really good because I, I, I resist sin down here. If you've got no chance to go to Holy Communion, to go to confession, and you understand as a serious <coughs> Catholic how important that is, then on a mortal sin level, not a venal sin, but on a, at least, but on a mortal sin level, I really, I've, I really watch my step. I really watch my step, which is how it should be anyway, because even if you're in a located an area where you can go to confession on a regular basis, well, that's generally a week apart, isn't it? You can go to confession on Sunday. You can commit a mortal sin on Monday or Tuesday. You get hit by a bus on Thursday. You've got a problem. So the other nice thing about being down here, of course, in Saudi Arabia, is how seriously the, uh, the Saudis take their religion. If everyone around you is praying five times a day, it kind of propels you to take your own religion a little bit more seriously. It inspires you in that way. So even though down here I don't have the opportunity to go to Mass, I have other advantages which I embrace. So that's just a little couple of comments that came up on the blog. The blog has since gone down again. It's been under DDoS attack for the last few weeks now. And I, I thought I'd fix this Last year, I think it was July or August last year, I, I paid for extra site security and it worked for about eight months or so and now it's not working. And basically, I've realized that whoever wants to take down my blog can do it and there's nothing I can do about it. The thing that I don't get is why mine, because no one else's blogs are going down in all of the realms that I, or the internet quarter where I inhabit. If you look at the Sin Logos feed, which has uh, Christian blogs on it on one tab and the based, you know, secular but nationalist right websites on the other. None of those guys go down. It's just me. I don't think that what I'm writing is that outlandish in comparison to my fellow writers on the internet. I think we're all pretty much at the same level, but apparently I'm the one that needs to go down. So either I've just pissed off some asshole in the uh, uh, an agency with a with a number attached to it, or a, or a, an alphabet name, um, or I'm seen as some sort of gigantic threat, which I, I find ridiculous to believe. But there you go. Um, now, the, the title of this episode is The Lone Wolf Episode, and I came up with that while I was in the shower. I come up with a lot of ideas in the shower. Um, and so what I want to talk about on this episode is the state of the world right now in a geopolitical sense. 
on a macro level and how that's going to affect us all on the personal, the micro level. I've been reading a lot of interesting things lately from writers that I respect. There's a lot of, there's a lot of doom and gloom. And it's centered around the maneuverings, I suppose, of the United States globalist empire and its allies as it starts to, I suppose, implode financially and um, politically and diplomatically. And it's, it's not going to go down gracefully. It's going to try and, try and drag as many down into the uh, plug hole with it as it possibly can. From a financial perspective, of course, we've got Russia and its strategic moves in relation to the sanctions which America and its allies in the EU and uh, other Five Eyes nations such as Australia, New Zealand, Canada, etc. have, uh, but as well as extending to countries like Singapore, Japan, that sort of thing, um, have imposed upon it, including the confiscation of private property of Russian citizens, which is tantamount to theft. Um, I don't even think that happened in World War One or World War Two. I mean, people got interned as enemy aliens, but I, I, I don't remember. I've done a lot of history reading on those, on those uh, conflicts, and I, I cannot remember um, this sort of thing going on. Um, apparently, the West believes that if uh, they confiscate the assets of Russian oligarchs, uh, the Russian billionaires, that the Russia is going to be upset about this. It just it just shows how much that the West doesn't understand Russia. The Russians are absolutely ecstatic about this because they hate the oligarchs because the oligarchs are the ones that pillaged and raped the country uh, in the years following 1991 and the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I mean, it just shows how clueless the West is. Um, but this rush to punish Russia. It's such an emotional reaction uh, a, on a political and diplomatic level, and emotional, emotional reactions at this level are always the wrong thing to do for the countries making the move. So Europe is doing nothing but hurting itself, as is seen uh, with the inflation starting to hit the continent, and the UK as well, of course. So I think power bills have gone up this week by 50% in the UK. Um, uh, supermarket, cost of supermarket in Aldi, I think in Germany, went up 50% this week. Um, fuel is over $2.50 euro a litre now, I think, in the Netherlands. Netherlands inflation um, this month, comparing to last year, is 11%. That's the official level. And the most of that's in energy, which is up around 80% inflation. Um, let me tell you that when I lived in the Netherlands, the power bills, I was kind of gobsmacked at how high they were. I was earning good money, so it didn't really worry me, but I can very, could very well imagine that for the average family, this would have been a very tough thing. Saying that's basically doubled in the last 12 months when it was already excruciatingly high, um, even for someone like me, was... Uh, I, I, think, I think there's going to be some real problems over there. Of course, you've got Russia sitting up there with all of the energy in the world with 
ready to and able to send it through to Europe via Nord Stream 1 and 2, no problems at all, but these have been blocked by, or Nord Stream 2 has been blocked by the US, so that the UN, so that Europe will buy LNG from the US, even though Europe doesn't have any uh, container ports that can op- offload it in the amounts it needs to satisfy its, uh, its industry. This is uh, Europe bankrupting itself, uh, and this is the US dragging Europe down with us. Of course, the U.S. is able to do this because Germany is simply a fiat, a fiat uh, uh, nation or fiat country of the U.S., as is Japan, and both have been since the end of World War II. They're not in control of their own governments, economic policies, or anything of that nature. They are a puppet on a string for the U.S., and he who controls Germany controls Europe. Um, Russia, of course, has made all its moves. It already had had systems in place. For example, when it was kicked off SWIFT, it knew it was going to it was going to happen, and had been prepared for the last eight or ten years for that to happen. Um, and by the way, on the on the Ukraine war, um, the only thing I'll say in that regard that I haven't already written about is simply the fact that. Um, the same propaganda pieces in the West screaming that Russia is evil and Putin is the new Hitler times one, two, whatever. How many, I don't know how many times we hear, how many new Hitlers there can be. It's like Hitler's uh, boys from Brazil actually became true. Um, these are the same propaganda pieces that have been pushing the vax, pushing the stolen 2020 presidential election in the US, pushing everything. So whatever they're saying is the opposite of truth. It's propaganda. Um, and it's discoverable in real time, basically, if you can do uh, an absolute modicum of, of um, investigation on the internet and on my blog, when it's, whenever it's up, on the bottom of the, the blog roll at the sidebar, I've put four sites there that I've found to be the most reliable as to what's really going on um, in this sense. So you would do well to at least read those and then consider what those writers are saying, stacked up against what the propaganda pieces in the West are saying. So that's all I'm going to say. But for those who sincerely believe that the Ukraine army is uh, doing its thing and winning and that, uh, you know, the latest atrocity that the Russians so-called committed is committed, if you want to go keep on believing all of that, I'm, I'm not interested in changing your mind. I'm not interested in pulling the wool over your eyes. Uh, just... You're intellectually stupid. That's all I'm going to say. And I, th- I think that's being kind. So on top of all this, we've got uh, the, the financial situation, the US being directly in debt by something like 30 trillion US dollars, and I would say indirectly in debt, debt and that means all of the IOUs, things like pensions, social securities, commitments uh, that haven't come into fruition yet, you'd be looking at something like 450 trillion US dollars from the research that I've done online. And I think that that is uh, distance from Earth to the closest star back and forth nine times, if you laid all the dollars out in a row. Give you some idea of how much money that is. To say that we could, the US could get to Weimar Germany levels of inflation, it already is there. If you're talking about a total debt of 450 trillion US dollars, trillion. 
one trillion is a thousand billion, keep that in mind, you're already there, you're already at the Weimar level of inflation, it just hasn't caught up with the general population yet. When it catches up, it's going to be overnight. You'll go to bed and you'll have $10,000 in the bank and you'll wake up and either that $10,000 won't buy a loaf of bread or it'll be frozen as the banks try to work themselves out of the mess and your money will be stolen from you. And when it gets unlocked, it won't be able to buy the price of a loaf of bread and you'll just have to sit there and watch it. That could happen tomorrow. It could happen in a month. It could happen in six months. It could happen by, I would say the latest is going to happen by November. End of the year. Um, crypto, no idea. Um, on the one hand, I think that if you can put money in crypto and get that onto a private wallet, not stuck on an online exchange, because online exchanges will freeze as well, then that might be well and good for you. And then you can directly send it to people without using an online exchange. Um, on the other hand, I look at crypto as maybe it's another dot-com bubble, um, similar to the dot-com bubble at the 1999-2000, uh, around that time. Um, not sure. For that reason, I put a little bit of money into crypto as a bet each way. Uh, I've got money in it. Do I think it can come to anything? No idea. Um, I would say maybe there's a 30% chance of it being able to be usable uh, when, the, when the crap goes down, we'll see. But it's better to have some money in it that, that will be frozen in a bank anyway and be useless to me in that sense. Um, land, I think land, I think housing prices are going to collapse as all of the so what's going to happen is the US dollar has been used as a money printing machine for the US because it's not tied to any real value of wealth such as gold, which the Russian ruble is now, um, which meant the US could print as much as it want, flood the world with it, force countries to take it. If countries wouldn't take it uh, and tried to go onto their own, onto a, back their own currencies, not with US dollars, but the gold standard or something like that, then the US would take them out. Think Gaddafi in Libya. Think Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Um, there have been others. Um, the Saudis, uh, two or three weeks ago, announced that they were going to start accepting Chinese yuan for uh, oil, and then mysteriously, a bag of ragtag rebels in Yemen managed to hit one of Saudi's biggest refinery plants with a missile right next to the Jeddah Formula One Grand Prix. Um, yeah, I don't think that was Yemenis doing that. And if it was Yemenis, there was someone standing next to them who works for a, uh, an agency with uh, letters and, or numbers in the, uh, in the name that was showing them exactly how to use the missile that they had supplied them with. Since then, the, the Saudis haven't really said anything extra about one for oil. But, what's, but these are just... The US can't do this with Russia because Russia holds the same amount of nuclear weapons as the US, is perfectly prepared to use them, has a better military than the US, 
and has spent the last eight years under sanctions anyway, so Russia is basically self-sufficient. Apparently Russia has about five years of food reserves for its population, not to mention all of its uh, energy reserves, and it's been running things its own way for eight years. So basically Russia's had eight years to um, sort itself out. So the US can't do its normal playbook on this. It can't assassinate the leader. It can't take it out in a, in a so-called color revolution uh, or anything like that. So America's been outplayed. Europe and NATO is completely outplayed because they're not, uh, NATO is not, a, or Europe are not, um, like I've already said, um, autonomous political actors in this. They're basically a, a zombified uh, state but beholden to the US, so they're not able to act unilaterally, apart from individual states like Hungary. So Hungary is very interesting. Just this last this week has had, or last weekend had, its um, uh, national election won uh, convincingly by uh, Oban again, and the European Union has turned around and is now going to withhold funds to Hungary because they voted the wrong way. I mean, more obvious than this, I don't know what to tell you. But Oban has basically made a deal and he's going with, with uh, Putin and he is going to continue to buy energy. In fact, what's probably going to happen is, is that Hungary will become the energy um, um, f font for Europe via Russia. The energy will come in through Hungary from Russia and then from Hungary be distributed. So, so Italy will buy energy not from Russia, it will buy it from Hungary. It's Russian energy, but this is all about face saving for themselves, right? So they've got to do what they've got to do. Otherwise they freeze to death. So Hungary is going to get quite wealthy off this. So I don't think Hungary really cares at this point if the EU withholds five or six billion euros, which the value of which is precarious. Now, why doesn't Hungary just leave the EU? Well, it wants to be able to sell all of its uh, all this energy to the other EU members. But wouldn't be surprised, surprise me if they pull out. Um, France is going to an election, and suddenly Macron's looking worried with Le Pen. I will be very surprised if Le Pen wins that one. But if she does, that's going to be another cat amongst the pigeons. If the EU starts to unravel, it will unravel incredibly quickly because countries will be desperate. Europe, countries in the EU will be desperate to get as much uh, advantage for their old individual currencies like the Italian lira or the Dutch guilder, that sort of thing, the German mark. Um, before other countries do. The ones who get out first are probably going to be better placed. And if you can get out and prop your currency up to gold or something like that, um, before, while other countries are stuck in the, with euros, more advantage to you. So it, it, if, it if, if and when it unravels, it's going to unravel very fast. And of course, if you're left holding euros, then they're probably not going to be worth spit. 
We've got global issues with transport now, with food, energy, and of course many, many countries were sucked into the myth of globalism and that you didn't have to produce anything yourself, but you could just import it and, I mean, Australia is the prime example of this. Australia still has a lot of resources, but China's sitting up above them with uh, 1.4 billion people or something like that and nowhere else to put them and Australia's sitting there basically empty. There's already 3 million Chinese nationals living in Australia as paper Australians. I would call them the advance, the advance guard. Um... I would say China's move is going to be to take Australia and I don't think they're going to be friendly to non-Chinese and it hates me to say that because my family's in Australia. There's a lot going on boys and girls, there's a lot going on. And thus what do you do? Well, I'm not offering financial advice. But what I read tells me that you should have a bit of gold. So, if you've bought some toys like fancy cars or boats or something like that, offload them cheap right now, get the cash you can, buy some gold. Because probably the loan, the bank that has the loan isn't going to be standing. I mean, I've heard gold, guns and ammo. That's a little saying that I've heard. I, I'm torn here. I don't, I don't want to give out advice because I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. What I do know is, is that you can either make your moves now while you've got room to manoeuvre or you can try and make your moves after the fact in reaction to what's going down. And it's a much better idea to make your moves before the crap goes down. That's what I think. Listening back to that episode 104, which was a few months after the ex-wife had walked out on me, And it's three years since then, so over three years since she walked out on me. And I am single. I do not have any kids. At the moment, I live in Saudi Arabia. I don't have a house anywhere, though, else in the rest of the world. My, my stuff is in storage in the Netherlands. If the crap goes down, seriously, at this point, I only have to worry about myself. I don't have a wife, I don't have any kids that I know about. So I don't have any kids. And this is why I call this the lone wolf episode. I... Listening to that, re-listening to that episode 104, that episode was about not feeling sorry for yourself, about not wallowing in self-pity. It's amazing how with a few
few couple of years and no longer being emotionally uh, blown up by the whole thing. And now I'm in a situation where being free and clear and only having to worry about myself and not worry about anyone else is not a disadvantage. Don't get me wrong, if I had four strapping teenage sons and we had our own mountain hideout somewhere or something like that, I'm not saying that's a bad place to be. That's a very good place to be. But for myself right now, I would consider myself to be a lone wolf. I'm beholden to no one. I'm beholden to nothing. I can walk out of the place where I live tomorrow. It's not a problem. So right now, that's an advantageous situation for me to be in. A very advantageous situation indeed. I don't have to feed anyone else. I don't have to worry about anyone else's safety. I don't have to worry about stuff. I don't have stuff. Because I came down to uh, Saudi Arabia with two bags. Kind of back to where I was when I was in Uganda. Full circle. In that sense. Funny how things go, isn't it? So in a sense, maybe my whole life I've been preparing for this moment. So if the crap goes down, I can react to it. If I need to stay here, I can stay here. If I need to leave, I can leave. And I can pick where I want to go. Where would I go? Not sure. I mean, I have a long history in Europe, both in Italy and the Netherlands. But Europe seems to be on a suicidal mission. But I know people there. And those people are very loyal to me and vice versa. The lone wolf situation is good when the crap's going down and you need to react and move fast. I don't have to discuss it with anyone. I don't have to argue with anyone. I don't have to convince anyone. I don't have to move anyone or push anyone. If it really goes down, I'm out the door, I'm gone. I'll leave most of my stuff behind. I'll just take what I can carry. But that's only good for the dynamic moment, short term. But in the medium and long term, you're going to need other people around you. And you're going to need other people around you who are loyal to you, who trust you, who want to help you out because of shared history, and also because they know that you can help out and you're valuable too. So I would probably head to one of the places that I know. How would I get there? Hopefully fly. If not, drive. If not, walk. This sounds like crazy stuff to talk about, but 
We are living in very, 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 very interesting times, my friends. If I was stuck down here with a wife and kids, woo, now I'd be worried. Now I would be worried. Because in that situation, it's not one seat I've got to get on a flight, it's four or five. Maybe there's not many seats going. Just to give an example. At the moment, all I can do is get financial affairs in order so that if it all goes boom, I'm able at least to react. Of course, some extra tins of uh, tuna and beans and uh, packets of rice. Though rice isn't such a great idea if the power goes out and you can't cook. It's all electric here, there's no gas. Well, the gas will go out as well. So why cans of beans and tuna are very good. Very good. Can, a meal from a can of tuna some beans, like a bean and tuna salad, some red onion, a bit of chilli, parsley thrown in, olive oil to tie it together, and salt and pepper. That'll get you through a couple of days with um, doing stuff. Bags of rice are only good if you can cook them. If there's no power, you can't eat uncooked rice. At least, I don't think you can until you get really desperate. How desperate a thing is going to get? I don't know. I can't tell you that. No one can tell you that. Like I said, there's a lot of doom and gloom going on on the internet. There's a lot of, this is the end of the world. And it, hey, it could be. Maybe God really needs a clean out. I mean, how many people survived the Great Flood? How many people survived in... The cities that God took out, Sodom and Gomorrah, not many. I'd say some good people went down. Which means ultimately, if we circle back to the start of this episode, and talking about that question about going to the traditional Latin Mass and about prayer. If we're talking about getting your, thing, your life in order, the most important thing at this point in time is to get your affairs in order with God. Learn how to pray. Learn how to be disciplined in prayer. I've always for the last 25 years of my life, been able to get up and move and get things happening. But it's one thing to get up and move and get things happening because your personal life isn't going so well or you want to make a change. It's nothing entirely because the whole world is falling to pieces around you. The thing that gives me strength going forward into what might happen over the next few months is not my experience of what I've done before, 
but rather the thing that gives me the greatest strength and hope is my relationship with God and the fact that I've already gone back, come back to Him and that I've made my peace with Him and that each day I devote a certain amount of time of my day to prayer and to study. That is worth more than all the gold and crypto, guns and ammo, food and anything else you can think of. If it gets to the point in a few months that I'm having to walk out of Saudi Arabia in the desert in the summer and things aren't going too well, which in that situation you can probably bet that they wouldn't go too well. I'll be okay. Because I've got God. And when I say I'll be okay, I'll be okay in a spiritual sense. I might very well not be okay in a physical sense. But despair won't be on the cards. Because of where I stand with Him. So I am, a, I am a lone wolf physically, but I'm not a lone wolf spiritually. The spirit can't be alone. Here's the funny thing, when you look at it that way, the majority of the vast majority of the world's population are not lone wolves physically. They're not able to do what I can do. But on the flip side, the vast majority of the world's population are indeed lone wolves in a spiritual sense because they have no relationship with God, even if they think they do. Whereas I'm not a lone wolf in that sense. Most of the people I know do not have a spiritual relationship with God. They do not have a spiritual anything. All it is is physical. So when this physical world starts to implode this year, they're going to be in very dire straits indeed. At that point, can you form a relationship with God when you're in desperate times like that? Is God interested in hearing from you? I don't know. I don't know if God is interested or not. I'm not going to make that call, but I will say that I think it would be very difficult to come to a true, true spiritual awakening when your world is physical world that everything that you've identified with is falling down around you. Maybe some people can do it. Maybe that's what is going to happen, which why God allows all this to happen. But all I'm saying is it would be much better for you to start doing the work today after hearing this and as I said at the beginning there is no illumination that's going to happen for you prayer is hard work like anything it's a discipline so when you start you're rubbish and you get better I get up and pray the rosary every day this is my daily for you okay 
So I wake up at five o'clock. I normally will be able to pry myself out of bed at about eight minutes past five. It's amazing how often it's eight minutes past five. I'll walk straight into the shower. I'll have a shower. After that, I'll groom myself. I'll get dressed. By this stage, it's about 25 past five. And then I, at the foot of my bread, I kneel down on the floor and say the rosary, which takes about 20 minutes. That then gives me about an hour before I leave home to peruse the internet, have a look at a few things, have a much-needed coffee, and get into my day, and at 6.45 I'll get in the car and off I go. Now today's my day off, the big day off, the first day off of the, of the weekend for me, and I got up before 5 o'clock, and blah, 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 I, looked at the, I didn't go straight in the shower, this time I reversed it, I get on the internet first, then I do the shower, and then it's on my knees, and the rosary. This morning's rosary was a really good one, it was really clear-headed. But the point is, is that I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And some days the rosary is really easy to say and the prayer, like today, goes very well. And other days, it's like drawing teeth and every inch of my body is trembling to just get up and stop saying this rosary and go and do something else because I've got so many more important things to do. But how can I possibly waste this time saying the rosary now? But I don't. But once you finish that sort of prayer, it's a, it's a state of, of spiritual exhaustion and a battle that you manage to fight through it and persevere. It's perseverance that is the key to this discipline. Prayer is hard and it gets harder the more you do it because you're peeling back the layers of your soul like an onion in a spiritual sense and revealing what is underneath, what you've hidden from the whole world and from yourself. How important is this? How important is it that you do this now while you still have the opportunity and the chance? before the crap starts going down. But everyone's focused on which crypto to buy and should they buy gold and where should they be and how much ammo to get, which guns, how to store your food. But how many people are talking about prayer, about your own spiritual relationship with God? Isn't that the most important thing? You can hoard as much food and guns and ammo and everything as you want, then a bomb can drop on your house taking you out and everything that you meticulously stored with it. You'll look pretty foolish then. Oh yeah, Adam, but you'll look even more foolish because you haven't got all of that stuff and the chances of a bomb dropping on my house are pretty negligible, but you're guaranteed not to go well. Yeah, but at the end, we die. After that is what counts, not before it. I'm not saying do not store the gold guns and ammo and food. What I'm saying is, while you're doing that, if you put at least half as much effort into your prayer life and your relationship with God and your spiritual self, as you did with 
gathering your resources like demented squirrels gathering, gathering nuts. You might be a little bit better off. So I am the lone wolf. In the physical sense. But I'm most certainly not the lone wolf in a spiritual sense and I wouldn't have it any other way. And anyone who thinks they are the lone wolf in a spiritual sense, that they don't need God. We'll be finding out soon, I think, that there's a reason that there's no atheists in foxholes. Make your move now, spiritually, while there are still moves to make, before circumstances dictate how your moves are going to run. Get your spiritual house in order, people. Okay, it's been a while since I've done this, but I still remember how to do it. Shout out to Captain Capitalism, Aaron Cleary, who's got a new book out, which is number one in feminist theory, holy moly, called The Menu, How to Live Life Without the Opposite Sex. There you go, the ultimate lone wolf book. Check that out. Cappy has sent me a copy, so I'm going to read that. I don't think I'm going to be in agreement with his book because I think it's coming from a very materialistic point of view. But it doesn't say it wouldn't be valuable for many people. So I'm going to check it out. You should too. Give him your support. You can check out my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, Run Guts, Pull Cones, available on uh, Amazon, as long as Amazon stays up. Get a physical copy. Get a physical copy now because... Digital ain't going to work, and when Amazon goes down, that's it for my books. I can't get them out to you. I don't even have a copy myself, I don't think. So get them now while you can. Um, hey, thanks for listening. This has been um, nice to be back on the uh, Pushing Rubber podcast. I'm not going to make any promises, um, but um, it's nice to be back. I hope that you got something out of this. And uh, God bless you all, and bye for now.